0: Please The the door to Christian resources has really kind of swung wide in the past 15 to 20 years, isn't it? With the advent of uh, the internet with apps and blogs and websites we have now at our fingertips sort of seemingly endless access to lots and lots of Christian teaching, don't we? Now, as we look at these things, the teachings that are out there, we can perhaps detect, dare I say, a subtle difference between the teaching that has emerged from North America uh, over the last wee while and the teaching that we have received historically in this country over the years. See, here in the UK, we've had this very, very clear, uh, quite rightly, let me say, a clear focus on salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Okay, we've had that. But what we're seeing just now from a number of Reformed churches in the United States in particular is, yes, that same focus, okay, that same unshakable focus on salvation in Jesus Christ. But we are seeing also, at the same time, this kind of renewed emphasis on the life that Christians should lead after that initial work of grace has been done. Do you see what I mean? So we've had this, we've got this now from the States, this, this focus, salvation, but also this focus on the life after that work of salvation, this life of sanctification, the necessary life of holiness that Christians are called to lead and by the Lord our God, the God most high. And with that said, I think we should really note that this passage that we're going to study tonight has much to say to us about godliness. It's got lots to say about the way that you should live, if you're a Christian, and the way that I should live as a Christian. So, with that said, let me suggest this. As we start out tonight, let's ponder whether at this juncture in your life, are you really walking with God as a Christian? just as you sitting here tonight at this point in your life you know are you living very very openly as a christian the people around know that you are a believer and are you living in a sort of distinct and noticeable way for jesus christ at this point in your life are you doing that you know day by day on a daily basis are you making these big steps to try and battle the sin that's in your life are you How is your walk with God? How is it? Okay. Now we've had this um, (coughs) quite short break from the book of Genesis, but you know where we are, you know what's happened. So Abram Lot come back from Egypt, don't they? And then they have this bit of a tiff, have a bit of a quarrel. And then Lots goes off and he lives in this attractive part of the land. That's the background, that's what's been happening. So if you didn't do it before, turn with me to Genesis 14. Have your Bibles open because we want to know what happens next, don't we? So let's consider first, this is our first point. Let's consider the the dangers of living too close to sin. Okay. The dangers of living too close to sin. I'm not going to try and pull the wool over your eyes I um, don't need to as we look at this first part of this this chapter and um, and this sort of situation of civil war that we're reading off in Genesis 14 um, if we're honest it is quite difficult stuff isn't it I mean, I'm feeling for you Paul I mean, you, uh, you did a cracking job but there's a lot of names there you know and with all these names these difficult names and and of all these kings, it's kind of quite difficult to work out exactly what's going on, isn't it? You know, it's not impenetrable, but it's quite difficult. So our first job, I guess, is to unpack what that civil war was about or what's happening in those verses. So let's do that. So what's happened is there's this guy, Kedor Leomer. Okay? Now he's come over from the east, and he's he's come over and he's annexed, and he has Um, (coughs) uh, captured and ruled Canaan, the land here for the total of about 12 years we're told, Kedor Leomer. okay, then we're told that the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, they get their crew together, they get a few other kings, and they mount this uprising and they defeat Kedor Leomer, and they themselves, so that's the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, they rule in this land for about a year And then in the 14th year, what we see is this guy, Kedar Leomer. He's over in the east again. Okay. What we see is he rallies some of his mates, the kings. He comes back to the land. And then the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, they come out to meet him for battle. Right? And we're supposed to read this and see, okay, the tension's building. That things are coming to head and it, we're supposed to see that tensions building because we know, ah, oh, Sodom and Gomorrah, we know that Lot is tied up in all of this and then it ends badly, doesn't it? Because uh, Kedar Leomer is victorious and then these armies of oh, Sodom and Gomorrah, we see them literally running through the hills and we see them running and also tripping over and falling into some of these tar pits. As well, so that's the scene. That's what's going on here. But what should we be noticing about this episode? Okay. Firstly, let me suggest this: that we see here the, the powerful magnetism of sin, the, mag, the allure of sin. You see, you'll recall three weeks ago when we looked at this last time around you'll recall that Lot was given the choice, wasn't he, of where to live do you remember that? Abram kind of gave Lot carte blanche he said, have a look around wherever you want to live, you live and do you remember what Lot chose? he chose, let's get this right he chose the attractive plains of Jordan, didn't he? now this is the important thing, he chose to live near Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what we're told. Near those places, cities that we are told in chapter 13 were, what, ungodly and wicked. He's near those places. That's what we were told. Now have a look he is. Look at verse 12. Look at the end of verse 12. See that there's been a movement here? Look, Lot is not living near Sodom and Gomorrah anymore. Lot is now living in Sodom. Do you see it? He's been attracted within the bounds of that city. We've got a situation here where Lot has become sort of tolerant, if you like. He's become accepting of all that wickedness and all that evil in the city. Now, you've all seen those uh, big sort of blue gas canisters that you get in petrol stations, haven't you? You know the sort of things that are used in caravans and are used in sort of gas uh, heaters? You know what I'm talking about, the those big gas canisters. We well, you know that at the bottom of those canisters, you always find this little written warning. It always kind of says at the bottom of these things, it says, Do not store this gas canister <coughs> within a meter or two meters of a naked flame. And you're a bright group of people. You don't need to me to explain why that is. You know that if that was to happen that these gas canisters would most probably just go BOOM. Well, that is what we've got in Genesis 14. Because more than just this powerful magnetism of sin, with Lot moving into Sodom, we also see here the repercussions for the people of God. In getting too close to sin, because you see, what happens here is that Lot, having been pulled in, you know, been allured, attracted into the wickedness of Sodom, he now—I don't know if you allow this or not—he now suffers the same fate as that city, doesn't he? I mean, Kedorlaomer doesn't just defeat those armies, does he? I mean, he goes to town. On the town saw Sodom. He ransacks the place. And Keder Leomer, he drags away the whole population. Imagine that. He takes away the whole population of Sodom. He takes away all the possessions. Including our guy. He takes away Lot and everything that belongs to Lot. Now, surely, here's the thing. Surely as we consider godliness, your godliness tonight, that we see lots in this episode with Lot that is instructive and helpful for us, don't we? Because surely we learn here that you and I have got to be awake and we've got to be spiritually alert with the connections and the the friendships and the relationships that we have in this life. That we to watch that we are not attracted by or allured by the wickedness and the godliness of the people that we live around. We've got to watch that. Now, what does that, what does that mean? What does that look like practically? Well, that if we've got non-Christian flatmates, let's say, or we've got non-Christian friends, or we've got non-Christian work colleagues, people who are, you know, so openly living in ungodliness, just unholy life, that we have got to be so careful that we do not find ourselves drawn into that. You know, that over time, that we don't find ourselves, when we're, when we're exposed to this godliness, that we don't find ourselves actually, wait a minute, tolerant of it. We can't. Well, tolerant, not accepting of it. That we don't, like Lot, first of all become numb to sin. Then become attracted to sin. And then over time, again like Lot, that we don't find ourselves ensnared and taken captive and then basically becoming indistinguishable from unbelievers. Now, I wonder as I say these things just now, about non-Christian flatmates, non-Christian friends, and the attractiveness of it all, is there a familiarity for you with that? Is there a familiarity to the tolerance and accepting of the sin that is around you? If there is, can, can I just remind you of what we read in God's word in Revelation chapter 18? Listen to this. God says to his children, he says, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. So I say to you tonight, if you realise that there is in your heart, even tonight, as we look at this, if you realize that there is this growing embracing of sin, that now you resolve to pull back from Sodom. You know, that you resolve tonight, to say no. Oh, i am going to pursue a different life that you change and that you say i am going to follow a life of holiness for the glory of god so we see first of all the danger in lot don't we the danger of living too close to sin okay so we, we get it. We see the hazards of being too accepting of sin. But then we sort of move uh, past part of the civil war, if you like. And when we do that, what we see is the other side of the coin. Because here in, in Genesis 14, there's also a lot that we can learn about how the family of faith, how a congregation, how Christians should respond to people who have been taken captive, because of sin how we should respond to people who have fallen away so this is our second point we've seen the dangers secondly we see the duty to restore fallen family the duty to restore fallen family now, okay um, I'm pretty sure if you put your mind to it just now that you could imagine uh, what the scene in Genesis 14 kind of looks like, couldn't you? Because we've got to use our imagination a wee bit, but Lot, I'm sure, is bound hand and foot and he is chained uh, to all of these inhabitants of Sodom as they are dragged away and they are carried off east. Okay? Then what we read is that somebody escapes and that person goes to tell Abram what's happened. He tells him what's happened to his nephew Lot. And then we see it's very, very specific, isn't it? It's remarkably specific. Because we're told that Abram then musters his men. It's not just that, he musters three hundred, is it three sixteen or three hundred and eighteen men, all very specific. Now what does Abram do? He he, he chases Kevil Leomer and he fights him. And um, he frees Lot, he frees all the inhabitants of Sodom. And then he comes back victorious to the land. Okay, that's fine, it's wonderful. What should we note about Abram's rescue of Lot? Well, surely, if anything, we can see that in Abram's attitude to Lot, get this, that our duty as Christians is laid clear before us isn't it that when we hear of a fellow christian becoming captive because of sin that we are to act like abram that we are to move to restore that captive believer and we're shown a lot of things a number of things about what our concern for fallen captive eh, family should look like first of all we see that our concern for captive Christians um, should be a concern because of a shared family relationship. Our concern for backslidden Christians should be because of a shared family relationship. Because there's an emphasis here on the fact that Abram, when he's chasing Hedon when he goes after Lot, that he does that because Lot is, it tells us, uh, there's an emphasis on the fact that he's his kinsman, he's his relative. That it's his brother that's his nephew. And we see that we must work to rescue fallen Christians, backslidden Christians. Why? Why is that important? Because these are people who have formerly worshipped our Father with us. I mean, backslidden Christians, these are people who are, in a very real sense, our brothers, you know, our sisters. So our concern should be because of a shared family relationship. But also, it should be a concern, it should be an urgent concern. Do you see that with Abram? Because this this bloke escapes from Kedil the Omar, you know, he escapes from the the chains. And when he does that, you can imagine his relief, I'm sure, to get away from them. And he he runs back to Abram. But then what we see with Abram is that Abram drops everything. But he hears the news that his nephew has been taken captive. You know? And he drops everything. He musters his men and he goes straight away chasing after this army. Now do you see that that is the sort of urgency that we have to adopt when we see a fallen Christian? Now we talk a lot about reaching out to those who are lost but we don't talk all that much about the importance of trying to reach those who used to worship here who have now fallen away. But why is it important? And it's mentioned so many times throughout Scripture. Because you see, a backslidden friend is a terrible, terrible thing to have. You see, every second that that person is backslidden is time that damages them. And every second that a person is backslidden and is captive to sin, it is time that damages all the people around them. Every second that a person is backslidden, most importantly of all, is time that damages the witness of this church. Witness of all churches. We must Act to restore family, and we must act to restore fast. And then more than that, here's another thing. We should be prepared for the fact that a pursuit of a fallen, captive, backslidden Christian may well take a lot of time to bear fruit. Did you see that again? See, Abram chases this guy, uh, Kedoli Omar. And look at the details of it in verse 15. He chases Kedoliomer all the way to Damascus. That might not mean much, okay? What do you need to know about that? You need to know that that was a long way from where Abraham was at that time, okay? A long way. And when we are talking about the distance from where you are sitting just now, they're pretty much Birmingham, okay? And all that way, Abram's running And he is chasing a captive brother. Do you see, our pursuit of those who have got too comfortable with sin and who have got into problems and dangers because of that, it might take an awful lot of effort and strategy, and it might take many, many months and many years to bear fruit. And then, I think this is the most important one. Our concern for captive Christians it's so difficult it may involve putting aside our differences we're Christians right surely this is a message for Christians anyway and we are supposed to love each other and we are supposed to care for each other and we are supposed to get on with each other but sometimes it doesn't work out like that does it and we I guess are maybe even notorious for being or squabbling with each other. Maybe because of that, you've got people in your past, Christians that you have fallen out with. And maybe you've got Christians you've fallen out with, Christians that are now nowhere spiritually. Think about Abraham. He's had this quarrel. He's had this fight with a family member, and they've separated But now he hears the news that there's problems. So what does he see? He sees that those problems are now irrelevant. He sees the more important thing. He puts to the side all of the squabbling, all of the quarreling, and he pursues, because it is important, he pursues his family member. Now, see, with all of that, let me ask you. See, I go through all of these things here about our concern for for fallen Christians. You see, when I did that, did somebody spring to mind? Did you find yourself thinking about an individual? Someone that used to be at church with you, and somebody who used to just love Jesus and praise Jesus, somebody who is now so far from Christ do you know people like that well in an age of social media and email in an age where it is so much easier to pursue somebody do you not think we should be doing that I mean this is important I mean it is damaging the witness of the church We pursue our brethren, we pursue our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Because I tell you this, if we do that and if God marches with us, then just like Abram, we might return victorious arm in arm with a brother and sister who is restored to the promised land. We see the danger, we see the duty. The duty we have, to. Thirdly, we see the decision of where our allegiance should lie. Okay, the decision. Danger, duty, the decision of where our allegiance should lie. Now, I guess that the end of this section of Scripture is perhaps the best known. If we're going to know anything about this chapter, we may have heard about the end of this. Because in it, Abram returns from war and as he does so we see two kings come out to meet Abram and this is an important meeting this is a meeting that forces Abram into a very very important decision that he has to make so first thing we need to know is who are the two kings who are the two people that meet him or told verse 17 first of all that the king of Sodom comes out to meet Abram. Now, he's clearly recovered from his trip into a tar pit. Okay, so he comes out to meet Abram. We've got the king of Sodom. But then we've also got this other ch- too. this character, Melchizedek. Now, we've not, in the book of Genesis, encountered Melchizedek before. So who is he? Well, we we learn that he, Melchizedek, is the king of, do you see it, Salem. Which I'm guessing you do not have to be a Hebrew scholar to work out that Salem is the place that we would now know as Jerusalem. Yeah, Jerusalem. So he's the king of Salem. But we're also told as well, on top of that, that he is the priest or a priest of God Most High. King, priest, fine. What's important about him? What does he do here? Well, he does two things with Abram, doesn't he? First of all, he sort of performs this wonderful kingly act in verse 18 because he meets this returning warrior, Abram. And he greets him with reward, sustenance. He greets him with bread and wine. So this sort of kingly act, first of all. Second of all, we see a priestly act as well. Look, verse 19. Melchizedek blesses Abram and acknowledges in so doing that ultimately it was the Lord who won that great victory for Abram over Kedol Leomer? And Abram clearly assents to that because Abram then gives the priest a tenth of the plunder. Now, we are building up a nice picture of these guys and the scene and what's going on. But hang on. We said that there was a decision that had to be made, didn't we? That there was a really important decision that Abram had to make. What was that decision? Well, at this point in the story, remember, Abram's come back, two guys have come out to meet him, and the king of Sodom begins to speak. He he speaks up, and look at what he suggests to Abram. He suggests that Abram give all of these freed people, the population of Sodom, back to the king of Sodom, But that, this is the the king of Sodom's suggestion, he suggests that Abram keep for himself all of the possessions of Sodom. Now, what we have to get and see is that Abram is not a fool. He can see there that what is before him is a very, very clear choice. It is black and it is white. There is a decision where he can either accept what the king of Sodom offers. He can accept the trappings and all the, the partnership of wickedness. Or, alternatively, he can reject that. And he can rest secure in those, do you remember those covenantal, glorious, sure promises of Blessing. That God has given him. Do you see it? It is black and white. It is the way of wickedness, or it is the way of Melchizedek and the way of God. And in Abram's response, do you see it? What a stunking reaction we have got from Abram. Because basically, Abram looks at this king of Sodom as he's come out to meet him and he says, Not a chance. No way. Am I going to pursue wickedness? He says, I have raised my hand to the Lord and I will accept nothing belonging to you. So with this we close. As we think about that decision before Abram and as we consider the need for Christian godliness tonight can I ask you this? Where is it that you are aligning yourself in the way that you live? You know, are you accepting the trappings and the partnership of wickedness in the way that you live as a Christian? Is that what's happening? Are you finding yourself conforming to the world? Or are you doing what Abram does here? Are you truly living out your faith? the way that you live and you're showing a you trust in God's covenantal promises. Which is it? You see, this week, um, a man that I knew, uh, he died. And um, he, was, he died after a short illness. He was an older man. Um, but what struck me since he passed away, the amount of positive words and positive testimonies that came forward about this guy. You know, just in the past few days, person after person has come out and said, What an example that man was. You know, what a witness that, that man was. What an impact that guy's quiet, humble, gentle Christian demeanor and life had in me. So here's the thing. I wonder if that will be able to be said about us when we die. Will it? Will people look at us and be able to say, you know, because of that person's holiness, because of that person's life of holiness, that I was pointed all the more to my Saviour, Jesus Christ. Will people be able to say that about us? You see, the choice that is before Abram in Genesis 14 here, that's the choice that is before you tonight. It is really that simple. As a Christian, are you going to pursue the trappings of wickedness? Are you going to relate to God Through the great and eternal priest In the order of Melchizedek Christians here Will you not just trust But live for Jesus Christ